Welcome to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors and collectors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our live interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, what they have in their personal collections, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their life and writing in revealing conversations with our book specialist, Tim Crook. And find us at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com. Now sit back and enjoy a few minutes with Modern Sign Books. Here's Tim. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Modern Sign Books. I'm your host, Tim Crook. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, James Renner. Uh, James is an interesting guy in that he primarily uh, started off as a journalist from Ohio uh, and is maybe most well-known for his true crime novels uh, as he researches murder and abduction and puts those into nonfiction books. Uh, But we're talking with James today because he's written a new book, uh, The Great Forgetting, and it is a nonfiction or it is a fiction piece. And so we're very excited to have you here with us today, James. Thank you for joining us on Modern Sign Books. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on, for sure. Well, let's start with, with a little bit about you, if we could. Um, you, you're from Ohio. Are, are I am, you, allegedly. Uh, um, when, you, when you were growing up there, what really started your interest in writing and, and crime research that you have now turned into a, a quite successful career? Uh, well, it would definitely be the Amy Mihalovic uh, cold case. Um, so um, back in 1989, this 10-year-old girl was abducted from Bay Village, Ohio, um, which is a very affluent suburb of Cleveland. It's where all the lawyers and dentists and FBI agents live and very safe community. Um, this girl however, was abducted in front of the police station in broad daylight on a Friday afternoon, um, and her killer has never been apprehended. Now, uh, I'm actually the same age as Amy. We were both born in 1978. So that crime, when it happened, I had just turned 11, and um, it was a huge uh, case here in Northeast Ohio. Her picture was everywhere. Everybody knew about this case. All the parents... Uh, suddenly became much more paranoid about letting their kids outside. and So that had a tremendous impact on my life. It was that moment where I realized that we live in a dangerous world. And um, even back then, for some reason, I became slightly obsessed with solving that case. I would get on my bike and ride to the mall and search for Amy in the crowds, thinking she had just gotten lost, and that's where the most people were, so maybe she'd turn up there. When they found her body three months later, I would go to the mall and look for the face of her killer in the in the crowds, and um, so kind of an odd hobby for an eleven year old. <laughs> and <laughs> um, later, I became a journalist, and uh, her story was the first story I pitched as a reporter. And uh, figuring that by then, sixteen years had gone by, and uh, I'm sure the police would have been able to figure out who did it, and I figured I'd go in there and tell everybody about it and dig up some new clues, and uh, I quickly discovered that uh, these cases are much bigger than sometimes we realize, 
and uh, there were too many men that had the means, motive, and opportunity to commit this crime for uh, them to have a very helpful working list of suspects. So it's a, it's one of those weird cases, very big, very strange, very twin peaksy, and uh, that's kind of how I got pulled into writing books. And, um, you know, that article became my first book, uh, Amy, My Search for Her Killer, and then eventually I decided to move from nonfiction into fiction and start writing about mysteries that I could solve. And uh, so that's how I came to write these um, these novels that, that begin as thrillers, as murder mysteries, and then kind of veer into the realm of sci-fi or sci-fi fantasy. What, what in... Is it that you got tired of, of the unsolved mystery? Is is there something there within you as a person that says I I need to have something that I can solve? Is was that kind Absolutely. of a for you? Yeah, um, yes, it wears on you after a while, and I did that for seven eight years. I wrote, I became you know known as the the crime guy in Cleveland, and I'd write about all these unsolved cases, and you know eventually that just kind of wears wears you down, and and you want to write something, you know just just for some catharsis that, uh, that can, that you can write to a conclusion. And, and that's how the man from Primrose Lane, uh, my first novel came out, uh, it came about. And, um, you know, of course that, that novel, uh, at the, at the beginning at least is about a young reporter who is pulled into researching an unsolved crime and, and becomes obsessed with it and, and realizes that it's much bigger than he ever ever expected it to be is that is there a part of this where it's when you you say it wears and it grades on you is it just this yearning for justice that maybe we all universally have or is it that you're pulled into the emotion and loss of the families that you talk with and, and the lives that you uncover well, those would be better answers. Um, the The truth of it is, um, it's very selfish. Uh, I want an answer, and I'm obsessed with finding an answer to these unanswered questions. And they are riddles, and, and I feel as though I should be smart enough to figure them out, that I should be smarter than the killer, that I should be smarter than the best detective, and um, and that's why I go after these things. So... Um, and over the course of my career, I've probably written about 30 different unsolved cases, and to date, I've only successfully brought one to, uh, to closure. Um, but that's more than a lot of crime writers ever get to do, and, um, you know, I'd, I'd be lucky if I were able to bring, bring more. What, what was that like? I mean, that, <clears throat> that one, shall we say, success? I don't know if that's the right word for Yeah. Right. It's not really the, the the right word, but yeah, that's what it is. It's, uh, it's bittersweet. Um, you know, um, you can bring closure to a case, but you can never bring closure to, um, you know, the, not to sound too Nicholas Sparks, but you can never bring closure to the human heart, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you're never going to wipe away that pain that the family has felt, um, even if you tell them definitively who murdered their daughter, uh, which I was able to do in the case of Tina Harmon. Um, it wasn't even the answer that uh, um, we were expecting, but uh, it closed the case. And my work um, led, uh, it forced the prosecutor to finally test the evidence for DNA. And without without my involvement, without our, invo- our, our involvement, um, 
you know, the family and I uh, pushing this, uh, it would still be open to this day. How how does your process look like in in a situation like this where you're coming in, you know, half a decade or more after an event has happened? How do you begin to unfold these mysteries? Um, you start at square one and uh, you you move from the crime scene, if you have a crime scene, or, or the... Uh, the missing or the murdered, and you move out in concentric circles. So you talk to the people that uh, knew her, knew him best, uh, the family, the friends who had motives, um, and you slowly branch out from there. And you will quickly find that the people that you talk to uh, will send you on five different wild goose chases. Um, you know, you, you there, there are a hundred rabbit holes you can fall down, but uh, only one of them will eventually lead you to that uh, solution. And it's usually the least likely um, at first um, that will take you to where the answer is, at least that I've found. And the reason is, you know, that there's a reason these cases are unsolved for 10, 15, 20 years. It's because the answer is uh, strange. It's unexpected. Um, but at the same time, it's elegant. You know, uh, the solution is there. You just you have to get lucky and you have to follow the right lead to, to, to get there. To what degree in, in your mind is, is an open cold case a, a function of lack of technology, lack of, of tools that we maybe have now that weren't there 20, 30, 40 years ago? Um, it, 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 it plays a big part in it. You know, if uh, Amy Mihalovic happened today, um, we would have probably had her killer within uh, a day or two. You know, this guy was calling her at home. There, there's much better records now through the phone companies that we'd be able to track down who called her, although it would probably happen on the internet now. Um, but again, we'd be able to trace down his IP address. Uh, the crime scene would have been treated differently in 89. It was the first year that they used DNA for a conviction, so it was very, very new. They didn't know how to treat the crime scene properly, and so um, a lot of that was tainted. Um, uh, yeah, um, crimes like that um, are fewer and rarer uh, today because of the technology we have. And technology still may advance to the point where we could solve um, the Mihalovic case, and I believe we will one day. You know, um, the newest a uh, cool advancement that's happened that, that might shed some light on these old cases, including Amy's, is that now we have the technology to take a person's DNA and feed it into a computer and have the computer read the genes responsible for facial structures, and it will spit out an image of what that person's face probably looked like at a certain age. Um, so it will be better than any sort of composite sketch that any eyewitness could possibly provide. Um, and that technology is already here, although it has not yet been used in law enforcement or for, for conviction. It's only been used by uh, artists. Um, an artist in New York uh, picked up gum from uh, uh, and, and cigarette butts from around Central Park and then ran the DNA and printed those pictures out and used it for a gallery installation. When when you you seem like someone who who loves solving puzzles, are there is there something other than crime puzzles that fascinates you? 
Sure, yeah. I, I've spent the last um, year, year and a half, researching this wonderful book that came out in 1982 called The Secret, A Treasure Hunt. Um, I've put together a documentary around it, which I hope to start releasing in some form um, in 2016. Uh, it's uh, in the book, uh, which was published in 82. Um, the editor and publisher, uh, Byron Price, um, had uh, 12 paintings done, uh, and he wrote 12 poems. And, and then he went around the country and buried 12 keys um, in different locations. And uh, if you can figure out, if you can solve the painting and the clues that are in the paintings and the, and the poems, um, they will lead you to the location of one of these 12 buried keys. And you can turn the key in for a gem that's worth about $1,200. Um, and it's a really cool puzzle case uh, and, and book. Um, and to date, only two of those keys have ever been found. There's still 10 that are that are in the ground somewhere around uh, the United States. So it's kind of like uh, geocaching for... Yeah, yeah. But but, yep. but with a, bit, a bigger payout at the end? I would think, yeah. Is the... In something like that, for you, is it the hunt or or the solving of the mystery and the reward the bigger driver? Um, I think there's a famous quote, right? The the exultation is in the is in the journey. Um, it's it's always the hunt. It's the hunt that uh, that I'm obsessed with. It's not so much the solution, um, although you know it is the you know, the, the answer that drives it. But, um, yeah, I have a lot of fun with these adventures. Um, you know, I've traveled, uh, you know, working on the Maura Murray case. I've got a book coming out in May called True Crime Addict that's uh, mostly about this cold case in Massachusetts. And I've spent, um, you know, weeks in uh, Massachusetts in the White Mountains of New Hampshire researching this this, this uh, disappearance, um, you know, which is uh, essentially a very sad story. But, um, it gives an excuse to, you know, traipse through the White Mountains and um, and see the grandeur and the beauty of, of, of nature, you know. So um, these are, to some extent, excuses for uh, for adventures, for travel. And that's that, that case is something you've been working on since, what, 2011? Yep. Yeah, I've been, been researching it, yeah, for about five years. But let's talk a little bit about your writing style in your fiction novels. Would you say that you write kind of like we just talked about taking the reader through a journey or, or is it more maybe that the stories unfold for you as you're writing them? Um, this question's come up a lot lately for some reason. Um, and, and, you know, the, the answer is, uh, it, it's weird just like any other answer, I guess. But, um, so I always had trouble trouble sleeping um, growing up, and uh, at some point, you know, around ten o'clock at night, the lights went out, and I couldn't stay up and read anymore. So I'd have to turn the lights out, and I'd lay in bed. And in order to fall asleep, I'd have to tell myself stories, and I'd make up these stories, and they'd be become over time very intricate stories, uh, you know, scary stories or thriller stories. And uh, <clears throat> slowly, what I essentially what I was doing, and this began about age eight, um, I was essentially outlining novels. And uh, even though I didn't understand that that's what I was doing, and over the course of about a year, 
one of these stories would become so intricate and, and, and layered that I would, I would essentially have a novel that, that is there in my head. And, and I still do that to this day. And so by the time uh, I don't even start writing these, these stories until that novel's fully formed in my head. So it's less about inventing on the page than it is about dictating what's already, uh, what's our, what I've already imagined. Wow. That... <laughs> <laughs> you know, essentially it's a very sad story about a kid that, uh, that, that couldn't fall asleep and, uh, was alone to, uh, make up these stories. So. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me briefly of, of kind of my own kids in the ways that they make up stories. Um, they, sure. my, my two oldest sons each have a town named after them and they tell us stories about what happens in their town. <laughs> um, it just it just struck me as as so connected. So let's talk cool. about about your your book, The Great Forgetting. Um, sure. What was the impetus for the idea behind the book? I'd learned about this thing, this notion called phantom time, and I, I really like the idea. And and the notion is that, um, and there are various like learned professors that believe that this really happened throughout various points in history. Um, the idea is that uh, leaders, um, whether they were popes or kings, at certain points in time um, changed our official calendar for whatever agenda they had at the time. Um, for instance, uh, the, the most likely case is Pope Sylvester II who was probably Pope around 850 AD. There's a lot of people that believe that he um, used the official calendar, which was set by the Catholic Church at the time, and pushed it forward so that he could be Pope at the turn of the first millennia, because that was going to be an, an important date, and whoever was Pope then would be regaled as this important Pope. Um, so they believe he skipped forward 100 years in the official calendar, and that um, you know, say 875 to 975 didn't really happen. They were, it was just skipped over, which has implications, you know, even today, not just in our history books, but, you know, that would mean that it's not really 2015, it's 1915, you know. So um, if he did that, how many other times did it happen? When did it happen? And I started thinking, well, what if it happened really recently? What if it just happened, you know, a few decades ago? Why might we have wanted to, you know, maybe delete, maybe we went back and deleted a hundred years of history. What might've happened that would have been so bad that we as a collective, uh, you know, humanity wanted to forget about it. So, and, and I, I take it that the story unfolds based upon this idea of what happened that was so terrible that we had to forget it. Well, it starts just like the man from Primrose Lane. It starts small before it gets really big. And, and so it actually starts, you know, with this uh, history teacher from Lakewood, Ohio, who is pulled back home to a small town to take care of his father, who is um, uh, has something like Alzheimer's. And um, once he gets back home, he gets pulled into this uh, uh, plot to find out what happened to his old best friend who's gone missing. And so you kind of start with this mystery of this missing person, and, and slowly this greater conspiracy kind of comes out of it. And Jack uh, Felter, the, the lead character, you know, eventually 
learns of this this idea of the great forgetting and and has to question whether or not he wants to wake up the world to what we all forgot about or whether it's better to forget our greatest sins you know that that old idea of is it better to remember our mistakes so that we don't repeat them or to forget about them so we can feel better about ourselves what's and how long did it take you to work on the manuscript for that? Um, a long time. This one took, this one nearly killed me. Uh, it, uh, I actually turned in a first draft in 2012, shortly after The Man from Primrose Lane was published. Uh, that draft that I turned in was 950 pages long, and um, everybody freaked. You know, and, and the reason it was so long is, you know, I felt like finally I'd been working all this time to become a novelist and, and have these books and, and suddenly I was and they said okay we'll take whatever you want to do next and so somebody handed me the keys to their you know to to dad's car and I, and I really wanted to take it for a spin and so I wrote this monster of a book and so uh, you know of course nobody wants to read books that length anymore so there's a lot of debate what to do with that some people suggested breaking it up into three books uh, and making it even like I even heard like the idea of Let's you know make it into a YA trilogy, and I, I didn't want anything to do with that. So I spent the next <laughs> three years uh, whittling this thing down to a more manageable, like 420 manuscript pages, and uh, you know a lot, a lot was left out, um, but um, the core of it remains, and everything that I really wanted to keep in there, they let me keep. Uh, yeah, so we've got the uh, ape human hybrids in there still, and you've got the uh, the lost continent of Mu, and you've got uh, Nazis and all the fun stuff. So um, it's a it's a much better book because it's sleek, and you know I look at the first draft as like uh, pure cocaine, and what we what we have now is like the the you know uh, it's it's crack, and so hopefully um, hopefully it'll have the same sort of response with the, the readership. Interesting. So, do you have the idea that that people will fantasize in the same way that you do about this alternate timeline? Um, I hope they think about it a little bit. I hope um, you know what what I like to do with these books, Primrose and uh, the Great Forgetting, is to write these ideas that are out there, and then you know, at least. Uh, plant a seed in the reader's mind enough that next time they're on the internet, they'll Google some of these ideas and phrases and realize, you know, how much uh, is actually based on true science and reality and fringy stuff. Um, what I really want to happen is every time, you know, from for the rest of their life after they've read the book, every time they hear an emergency uh, uh, um, broadcast on the radio, come on, um, they'll wonder if maybe that's the government rewriting their memories because that's what happens in the book. So, um, nobody, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a creepy, weird sound and we hear it every, every, you know, a few times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully that'll just be a nice little reminder, a little jingle of them to think about the book. Excellent. Well, as we kind of wrap up, I, I guess there's one question that I just have to ask and that is what is your science background? I mean, you've got My- the, yeah, your science. Your, did you did you study that in school? I mean, you're pulling no, out ideas I, that no one's heard of. I, I don't think. <laughs> um, it's something I think about a lot. Um, I, I 
I did take, you know, of course, uh, everybody takes, you know, the introductory physics classes, but, um, you know, I, I studied English in, uh, in, in college. So now it's just, uh, it's just a, it's a hobby, you know, um, uh, I, I always like Cosmos, uh, by, um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson and, uh, of course the original Cosmos too. And, uh, I, I just like, I like the what ifs, you know, not, not just in, uh, in fiction, you know, the what if books, but, you know, in reality, you know, the, 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 you know, what if this is true? What if we're living in a, uh, in a simulation, you know, um, I like all those trippy ideas. They're, they're good starts to, uh, to, 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 to books, to stories. Now tell me a little bit about the stories that you like to read. Uh, is there an author or a group of authors that you really enjoy? I mean, would you rather read Charlotte's web or it? Oh, uh, actually, I, I like I like both those authors quite a bit. Um, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, of course. Um, you know, or, or was when I was was younger. Um, uh, I, I'd say I'm moving more towards Charlotte Webb now, just because E.B. White. Um, you know, if 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 you want to understand grammar, um, you you go to the source, and you know, White, uh, having written the Grammar Handbook. Um, is uh, an excellent person to read. I, I like Franz and Franz and understands uh, um, grammar like nobody else. Um, and uh, uh, as far as story goes, John John Irving um, uh, is just wonderful um, to see what he does with characters and how he can introduce a character and you learn everything from their birth to their death in three paragraphs. And um, it's uh, there's some really really cool things going on there. Um, and I like uh, new writers like Ben Winters, um, who does the last policeman trilogy. I like any sort of author that, that has started to play around with, um, uh, unconventional genres and twisting of genres and, and not being, you know, able to be easily labeled and categorized in bookstores. Is that because you see yourself in that same kind of a category in some way? I hope so. Um, I, I just did, uh, that's what I'm trying for. Um, I just did a, uh, book tour. Uh, I flew into Seattle and drove down to San Diego and, and visited, um, you know, about 50 bookstores over the course of five days. And, uh, one thing I noticed was that uh, a lot of these independent bookstores don't really know where to put my books. You know, they, uh, you know, then they would ask me, you know, do I put it in science fiction or do, do I put it in literary? Do I, where in the heck does this go? And, and, you know, I, I think that the ones that seem to be selling the, the most books put it in thriller. So I, I guess I'm coming to understand that maybe I have a, um, you know, the, the, the best, uh, the best life in the, in the thriller section of your, your local bookstore. So do you, do you collect books at all? I mean, do you have um, a signed EB web some or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I like to, well, the, the books I, I collect um, tend to be the ones where I, I you know, I've met or, or, or known the author. Um, although I, uh, when I was younger, I collected the Dark Tower books um, by Stephen King. I was a huge fan of that series. And so I would go through, you know, Grant and um, get some of their first edition signed. And, and I'd spend way too much money for somebody that was working as a waiter in downtown Cleveland. Now, when you do these book tours... I, I imagine that there's at least some degree of people coming up to you and, and wanting your books signed. How, how does that make you feel? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, 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 uh, 
it's awesome. You know, it's uh, you know, yeah. On the rare occasions that happens, you 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 know you can live off that for the rest of your day, and and I hope never to take that that part of it for granted. But um, it's it's great when somebody you know wants a uh, wants book, and then you have to figure out uh you know how to how to sign it and what to say, and um you know it's always interesting trying to come up with uh, you know something worthwhile or notable or or funny to to put in the book. Well, I, as we kind of wrap up, I know our time is a little bit limited. Um, if you weren't an author, journalist, what would you do for a living? I would be making pizza, and I would uh, I would have a little corner pizza shop uh, at the boardwalk on um, uh, in Ocean City, and I'd I'd just make pizza all day, and I'd be very very happy uh, doing it and uh, making um, making some good pizza. And what would you definitely not do? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in. Uh, I I think maybe I would definitely not be in academia. You know, I, I would definitely not want to pour all my heart and soul into being a professor at um, at a at a state college someplace. Um, I, I've had just a, a, a little bit of an experience with that, and. Uh, um, it, that world is filled with some of the most uh, vile and wretched uh, parts of humanity I've ever I've ever come across. And and you do true crime. <laughs> and I do true crime. <laughs> <laughs> wow! All right. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with us today here at Modern Sign Books. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you. Your website, jamesrenner.com, I imagine is the best place? Yes. Yep. Yep. Head on over there. There's lots of fun stuff to, to check out. Um, you know, not just books, but videos and, and fun little rabbit holes to go down. All right. Well, thank you so much once again. And uh, we, I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great day. See ya. You've been listening to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio with book specialist Tim Crook. Be sure to check us out at modernsignedbooks.blogspot.com.